Let's pray. Father God, we praise you for your word given to us. It is good. You are good to have let us know who you are and what you've done and, and your plan throughout time. That this has been your will from the beginning, that you would send your son to the cross in our place to save us, that we might know who you are one day face to face. So we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. We pray, Lord, that it affects our hearts to the point that it comes out of our lives. We pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Fear. Fear is an amazing thing, isn't it? It is a powerful thing in our lives. It is a part of all of us, whether or not we want to admit it. There, there isn't anyone here who doesn't fear something or someone. Uh, have you ever seen those, those T-shirts or those bumper stickers and they say, no fear? Who, whoever has the gall to say they have no fear is a liar. Uh, we all fear something. We all fear someone. It's such an ingrained part of human existence that we even have sayings that go along with fear. There is nothing to fear but... See, you all know it. Fear itself. Yeah, exactly. Some of us may have... Alectorophobia. Oh, a lot of heads went up at that. Alectorophobia. I don't know if that means you, you can't eat a chicken sandwich or you can't go into a chicken coop, but it's the fear of chickens. Does anyone here have triskaidekaphobia? It's a fear of the number 13. See, sometimes our fears are wrongly placed, aren't they? A wrongly placed fear can make us to think irrationally, can, can stop someone from acting altogether or perhaps from, from doing something that they need to do or, or can cause people to act in ways that they shouldn't. A case of claustrophobia could keep somebody from getting on that elevator to go up to the doctor's appointment that they desperately need to go to. However, fear is also a God-given gift to us, isn't it? It, it? God gave us fear in order to protect us. So you might be wise to have a combination of chemophobia and hydrophobia in order that you would not be drowned and eaten by sharks. See, chemophobia is a fear of waves and hydrophobia is a fear of water. And, and so even though I'm from California, we all need to remember that surfing is prohibitive to life. You see, a rightly placed fear can save our lives, can it? Today we're going to read about two groups of people in our passage today, uh, both of whom considered themselves to be devoted servants of God. But each group had fears. And those fears that they had dictated their attitudes and their actions. Their fears stood as evidence as to whom they truly loved as they acted upon them, showing whether or not they were truly the servants of God that they claimed that they were. What we want to look at today, ultimately, uh, what we want to examine today is the fears of our own selves. We want to ask ourselves, who or what do I fear? How is that working itself out in us? 
in me? Do, do I fear being unvalued? Do I fear change? Do I fear God? What, it, what or whom do I fear? Let's go ahead and open our Bibles up to Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5, we're going to start at verse 11. Let's stand up for the reading of God's word. Acts chapter 5, starting at verse 11. It says, And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. That was right after Ananias and Sapphira fell down dead. Great fear came upon the whole church. Verse 12, Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared to join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, and that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed." But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is, the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles. They put them in the public prison. During the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. So they returned and reported, we found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, Look, the men whom you put into prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charge you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed, by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, men of Israel, take care what you're about to do with these men. For before these days, Theodos rose up claiming to be somebody and a number of men, about 400 joined him. He was killed and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census 
and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men, let them alone. For if this plan or if this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. When they called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Amen. The reading of God's word. Go ahead and be seated. The two groups that we're looking at today are the apostles and the Sanhedrin, those, those Sadducees, the Pharisees, the, the leadership of Israel. Both of these groups, both of these groups of people saw themselves as servants of God. Out of fear, one of them aligned their will with the will of God. Out of fear, one of them found themselves actually standing in opposition to God. The leaders of Israel, those Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, they feared losing their position and their influence. We read in, in verses 12 through 16, it says, Now many signs and wonders were being regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. We start reading about all these wonderful things that are happening through the apostles, how they were gathered together in Solomon's portico, and they were doing many signs and wonders, and they had, uh, from the people around them, those who didn't even believe, they had a reverence for these apostles, what was happening through them even if they didn't believe, and even if they wouldn't join them. Others were being added to their number. What does it say? It says, verse 14, more than ever believers were added to the Lord. Multitudes of both men and women. More than ever, multitudes. The, the apostles were starting to gather quite a following right in the heart of Jerusalem, right in the heart of the leadership of all of Israel. The apostles had the respect of the non-believer, and they had the commitment of many others. And from the perspective of the Jewish leaders, the apostles were taking away their following. The apostles were taking away from their influence. Change was coming, and they didn't like it. Verse 17, at this change, the high priest rose up and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles. The high priest rises up and he starts getting angry and jealous and all those who were with him, they were filled with jealousy. Why? Why would they be jealous that people were desirous to follow God? Why would they be jealous and angry that people wanted to know the Lord? See, their jealousy revealed that they were what, what they really feared. What they truly feared was losing their position and influence over the people of Jerusalem, 
over the people of Israel. And their jealousy led to sinful, desperate actions. They, they arrested, they jailed the apostles who had done nothing wrong, had done nothing against the law. Verse 33, they were so enraged, it says, when they heard this, they were enraged and they wanted to kill them. Have you ever been so angry at anyone that you wanted to actually kill them? Their their jealousy, what they feared, was causing them to think in irrational ways. The leaders of Israel, fearing losing their comfort, fearing their loss of influence over the people, they lashed out. And then we have the, the captain of the guard as, as they go to retrieve the apostles. What was it that they feared? What was it that the captain of the guard feared? Verse 26. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. The captain of the guard feared men. They feared being stoned, being killed by the people. They weren't acting upon their understanding of the will of God. They weren't acting upon things that the Lord had told them in their lives. This is what I want you to do. And they weren't acting upon some word of God towards them. Instead, they were acting upon what could happen to them in this situation. They were fearing, what could happen to me? I got to go do this, but I'm, I'm, I'm afraid of these people. What could happen to them in this situation was what was on their hearts, not what is the will of God in this situation. What could happen to me? And then when Gamaliel spoke to them later saying that they needed to be careful lest they find themselves opposing God. The Sanhedrin feared opposing God, or might I say they feared feared being opposed by God. Verse 39, Gamaliel says, but if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. See, taking Gamaliel's advice, they they took a step back and they did not kill the apostles. Perhaps they feared being wrong. Being shown to be the fool in this situation. See, they, they feared man. They, they feared losing their position and influence over the people. They feared losing the riches that they were getting from their positions of power and influence. But they didn't fear God. They feared losing to God. At Gamaliel's words, they had no repentance of what they were doing or what they wanted. See, they still had the apostles beaten, didn't they? They still charged them not to speak anymore in the name of Jesus, even if this was the will of God. Their fear of man, their their fear of loss drove them into sin, into evil, into a will that set itself opposed in opposition to God. Even though they, of all people, the 
leaders of Israel, the chosen people of God, should have known that a will set in opposition to God was bound to lose. Even though they are the ones who should have ultimately wanted to align their will with the will of God. Instead, they were left angry and frustrated as they had to watch this all unfold in front of their eyes. And we see their anger, we see their frustration, we see their, their fears in the beating and in their charge. The things they feared were temporal, bound to change, bound to fail them, bound to leave them angry and frustrated. We want to ask ourselves, here at Alden Union, are there any fears Apart from God and his word, are there any fears that are dictating for us the choices we make? Are there any fears in our hearts that are causing us to to keep from acting upon the will of God in our lives as we read it from his word? Anything that keeps us from aligning ourselves with the things we hear from God's word that we need to be applying to our lives and living out in our lives. What are the fears that are keeping us? Does his word clearly call you to something that you've been putting off? Does it clearly call us to something that we are not doing or or unwilling to do or perhaps are unwilling to stop doing. We know it's wrong in our lives, just as the, the, the leadership of Israel knew it would be wrong to stand in opposition to God, but they still had the apostles beaten. The apostles, having witnessed the death, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus Christ, having witnessed the dramatic discipline of Ananias and Sapphira in verses 1 through 11 as God struck them down, having witnessed and partaken in the miraculous healings that we read about in verses 12 through 16, having witnessed their own angelic rescue from the prison in verses 18 to 21, having been filled by the Holy Spirit of God as we read in verse 32, They had a tangible comprehension of the power and sovereignty of God. And they rightfully feared him above anything and anyone else. Have you and I, have we had Jesus Christ work in our hearts? Has he powerfully worked in your heart, changed the way you think, changed your heart to follow after him, changed you? worked in your life in some way that he broke you powerfully and caused you to know who he is? Has he affected your fears? See, the the fears of the apostles, their fear led them to align their will with the will of God. Verse 20, it says, The angel says, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And the apostles replied, wait a minute, we could get killed doing this. We could get hurt. Whose idea was this? No. Well, what does it say there that they did? Verse 21. And when they heard this, right away, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. 
because they knew the fear of God. They knew the works that God had done in their own lives. They had seen the power of the resurrection. They had seen the power of the ascension. They knew the spirit in them. Jesus had worked in their life and changed them. He had broken them. He had made them his, just as he has done us in this room. When they heard the command of God, they followed through on it because they knew the fear of the Lord. They went to the temple at daybreak and began to preach the good news of Jesus Christ. They knew the will of God. They saw the will of God. They heard the will of God from his own mouth, from his word, and they went and acted upon the will of God in their lives. They were obedient to the word of God for them. In spite of its possible consequences, they applied it and lived it because they feared God himself. See, their fear of God trumped their fear of men. Have you ever noticed that a greater fear trumps a lesser fear in our lives? We're all going to have fears, aren't we? But a greater fear, if we really fear something more than something else, it, it trumps the lesser fear. If you're lost in the woods and you're hungry beyond all belief and you know that some plants are poisonous, but you're hungry and know you're going to starve to death, what are you going to do? You're going to eat a plant because you don't want to die of starvation. The greater fear trumps the lesser fear. You see a raging river, you stay away from it, right? But then you see your little one floating down that river, all of a sudden you turn into an Olympic swimmer and you jump in, clothes and all, right? See, see, my, my earthly fear is arachnophobia. That's a very rational fear of spiders. <laughs> you laugh. Uh, the, uh, our house in California, we had these brown widows all over the place, all over the place outside. And brown widows are just like black widows, only meaner. <laughs> and my, my fear of my son being outside and sticking his hand under a place or something, getting bitten by one of these brown widows, trumped my own personal fear of these spiders. And so what I would do is I'd go out at night when I knew they were coming out, and I'd find them. And I would kill them. Yes, the one with arachnophobia would kill them. And every time I killed them, I'd do a little dance and feel yucky. But, but I did it because my greater fear of my son getting hurt trumped my arachnophobia, right? Their fear, the apostles' fear, gave them strength of heart and mind to overcome any lesser fears that they might have had. See, it didn't matter what anyone said to them. Verse 29, but Peter and the apostles answered them, we must obey God rather than men. Doesn't matter what any of those men said. Even after they were beaten and charged again, what did they do? Verse 42, and every day, in the temple, not hiding, not hidden away somewhere, not underground, in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Their greater fear trumped their lesser fear. 
It's the same boldness that was seen in them by the Sanhedrin in chapter 4, verse 13, as they boldly stood before them and proclaimed the gospel truth. And this fear of God gave them a joy. What fear in your life other than God can give you joy? Really, what fear can you list that makes you happy? That makes you go, this is great. Were they nuts? Then they left the presence of the council having been beaten, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. They were not crazy or irrational. They disobeyed these leaders of Israel who beat them, who charged them, who could have had them killed in the same way they did Jesus because, look with me at verse 30, because the God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. They they had this immense joy in spite of trial, an immense joy because of their fear that surpassed anything else. Their fear of God set them free from any other fear they might have had. Their concerns were no longer on the consequences or on the temporal things of this world. They, they now had a bigger picture outlook on life. It's kind of hard for us to understand because we're, we're so used to what we see and touch and feel and uh, empirical evidence. And, and we need to take a step back and, and understand how God has worked in our lives, has changed our hearts, has broken us, made us his, and fear him. And in that fear, take a step back and have that big picture outlook on life, that, that eternal perspective. There is an eternity that will play out far beyond the few years that I will spend here on this earth. Even if I get a full life I'm 90-some years old, 100. That's a flash in the pan compared to eternity. Am am I going to use this flash to fear God or let the world have it? Let the world subdue Jesus through the fears that it casts upon us. What greater person place or thing is there to fear than the omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent God of all creation, the sovereign Lord who holds all things together, even our very selves at this moment by his word of power. Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, verses 4 through 5, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body. And after that, have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Hebrews chapter 10. For if we go on sinning deliberately... 
After receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. This is the God that we serve, living and able to kill and cast into hell. And yet every day Christians walk in a a greater fear of other things, don't we? Every day the body of Christ sets other things over our fear of God. Whom or what do we fear? Is it loss of money? power or influence like Sanhedrin? Is it embarrassment as as we share Christ? Fear of man, persecution, unemployment. If you were to put that Bible on your desk at work, read it at your lunchtime. Is it untimely death? Because let's remember that, that God is greater than all of these things, even death itself. Jesus Christ said that no one takes his life from him. He laid it down of his own accord, and he would be the one who would take it back again because nobody could keep it from him. Because God stands over death itself, and we look forward to a hope of resurrection. There is nothing greater to fear than God. Because he stands over everything. None of these things are eternal. But God is. How do these fears of ours compare to God himself? What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. How will he not? also with him graciously give us all things. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No! In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is nothing as worthy of our fear in this life as God himself. Where do our actions, attitudes, our choices as individuals and as a church body stem from? Which which fear is going to be the one that guides us? A fear of man or a fear of God? A fear of loss 
a fear of his word. If we want to know who we truly fear, let's, let's make a list of our fears and, and see how we operate out of those. Go home, write them out, and then put God at the top of that list and see if he doesn't trump anything else you've written down. Let us live in fear of our good, gracious, merciful, and loving God who took on flesh and died in our place that we might be reconciled to him. Listening to his wisdom and his word, applying it, living it out in our lives, not simply acknowledging it, but really taking it in and living it out. Let us walk in fear of God that we would be set free from the fears of this world that would try to hinder us, the fears that are grounded on, on really temporal things, things that are briefly lived out, those things that might even cause us to stand in opposition to God. And may our rightly placed fears spur us to align our will with his own, just as the apostles did, that we would walk in love and good deeds in spite of anything else, and that we would strive to let God use our lives, his church, our fellowship, to fill the gap, to share the gospel with strength, with power, with prayer. Do you fear God this morning? Accept the salvation. If you have not accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, accept the salvation that is found in Christ alone. Acknowledge your sinful condition before a holy God. That you've done things wrong. That you've had other fears. You've put things before God. Accept Jesus Christ's sacrifice on the cross in your place that you might be reconciled to the God of your creation, the God who loves you so deeply that he would send his son to die in your place and then walk with him in a new life, a purpose-filled life. Today is the day of salvation. Come to the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, we pray, Lord, that you would work your spirit here in this place, Lord, Lord God, that, that you would fill us up. Spirit, we pray that you would act upon us in our hearts and in our minds, convict us, convince us, and Lord, help us to, to organize our fears, prioritize them, and put you at the top. Lord God, we give to you ourselves, we give to you our church body, because it is not ours, it is yours. We give it to you all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.